0: And welcome. It is Eric Erickson. Yeah, we got. Uh, like, we got to circle back to what we happened yesterday on this program to be able to get to the news of today. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I want to be very clear here. I am going to be very duplicative now and then in the next hour. Uh, And the reason is because uh, we've got several stations uh, that won't pick us up until 10. This is the big story of the day. It's worth covering twice. I want to be able to cover it for them, but i got to get to it out of the gate because it is the big story this morning. It has become a national story overnight. Uh, Yesterday, K. Ivey, the governor of Alabama, uh, decided to impose a mask order on the state. Alabama's governor seeing a rise in masks has decided everybody in the state now mandatory must wear masks. Uh, meanwhile, here in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp uh, decided that he wants to uh, require everyone get everyone to wear a mask without mandating everyone wear a mask. In fact, he issued a new executive order extending all of his guidelines for coronavirus, uh, social distancing, employees and businesses must wear masks, uh, wash your hands, uh, all the 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 temperature checks for businesses, things like that. Uh, but he made it very clear that local governments cannot impose mask orders. He banned uh, local governments from imposing mask orders and made very clear that he himself is not going to mandate masks. Now uh, it, I want to let him say in his own words why he did this. This I think is important. I asked him about this on this program yesterday at 10 o'clock, and I want to replay for you this bit of our interview so you have a sense of why he's doing what he's doing. Interestingly enough, the national media is melting down about this. The Georgia media is not for the reasons uh, that he talks about right here. Now, last question on, on this before we move on to the president's visit. Could you just talk about your views on masks? Because I know you're getting some pushback on making them mandatory or not. And I think I understand why, why you haven't. But wanted to give you the opportunity to explain.
1: Well, Dr. Toomey and I both and our whole team have talked about this a lot. I don't believe a mask mandate is going to work. Um, you know, a lot of the local governments that are calling for mask mandates are passing them. They're not enforcing the current rules that we have on social distancing You know, the bars can only be uh, open with limited capacity. I'll guarantee you that, you know, even though the locals have enforcement, uh, many or probably none are not enforcing and, you know, writing warning tickets and things of that nature to make sure that our businesses are following the rules. And many of them are, but some of them are not. And the guidance that we have in place will suffice if people will, will, you know, just – follow the guidance that we have and part of the the guidance even though it's not mandated is to wear a mask it works Um, if you're you know going in a public place or a place that's going to be crowded wear your mask if you're going out to eat just keep your mask on till you get to your table your table's going to be socially distanced from other tables your server's going to have a mask on and that will really work to help Uh, stop the spread but even with masks the virus can can spread so socially distancing is the best thing that that you can do Uh, and we shouldn't have to have mandates there for people to do the right thing you know we got mandates on speed limits and people break them every day you know nobody was worried about the socially distancing mandates or the large gathering ban that we still have of 50 people when the protests were going on um, and, and, you know, I understand why, and I, I was in that same camp as well, but we also, you know, we've got to be realistic when, when you have that scenario playing out and nobody's saying anything, it sends the message to everyone else that it's free reign out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's just not, we're going to have to live, learn to live with the virus, which we are. Our hospitals have done that. Our doctor's offices have done that, but we also have to not only protect the lives of our citizens, but the livelihoods. You think about the, I mean, literally, you know, the reason that we're holding where we are, I believe if we start shutting down again, we're going to lose restaurants forever. We're going to lose a lot of small businesses forever. And that economic toll is going to be devastating on our school budgets, on our healthcare budgets, on our social services budget. When you think about blind aids and disabled Medicaid and other programs. So, We've got to balance both, and that's what we're doing every single day, 24-7.
0: That was the governor uh, talking to me yesterday about this. And and let me reiterate uh, this, if you're just tuning in. The governor of Georgia is making it very clear in his latest executive order that he wants everyone to wear a mask, but he's not requiring it by law. The reason he told me and the reason he's told others he's not mandating mask coverage is because local governments around the state are not currently enforcing the other requirements. They're not enforcing social distancing. They're not enforcing uh, spacing at bars and restaurants. uh, They're not enforcing uh, closings. They're not enforcing, uh, you name it. They're, They're not enforcing any of this other stuff. And uh, now suddenly they all want him to impose masks so that they can enforce masks. And he's not going to do it. And it's not that he doesn't want people to wear masks. He's literally gone on a a statewide tour of every corner of the state telling people to wear masks that that'll get us through the virus faster. The reason he's not doing it is because he knows that, uh, one, he's turning everyone who doesn't immediately into a lawbreaker. And two he is allowing these local governments a a fine and tax revenue base uh, that they would otherwise not have. You've got to remember in Georgia, there's a history of local governments using, for example, speed traps as a way to boost revenue for their cities, not to actually enforce traffic safety, but to actually generate revenue for their cities. Uh, There is a concern from a lot of people that that's what's going to happen if you were to mandate masks. You would see local governments come in with local police and start ticketing everyone, not because they really care, but because they want the revenue. Uh, there isn't any enforcement on the existing things, and that is the key. You got to understand, the they the local governments in the state are under mandates from the state government right now to ensure that uh, bars and restaurants have spacing requirements to ensure that bars and nightclubs uh, limit the number of people who can be there and keep them spread out. They have requirements on general social distancing, even in grocery stores. They have requirements uh, across the board on temperature checks for employees, masks for employees, making sure the employees wear the masks properly, including over their nose, and local governments aren't enforcing any of these things. So why add an additional mandate uh, when the local governments can't even do the initial stuff they're doing? And and they're just screaming for more help and, and they're making demands. Now, the governors, you need to be also very clear on this. His order does not preempt private business, and he's very, very clear in his order. Kroger and Walmart are going to start mandating you must wear a mask in their stores. The governor's order does not preempt those. Private businesses are allowed to mandate a mask in their, in their store, and in fact, the governor is encouraging private businesses to do this. It's the local governments that want a ticketing revenue operation that aren't enforcing anything else that the governor is opposing right now. He wants everyone to wear a mask. I mean, for God's sakes, the man literally just went on an entire tour of the state, uh, north, south, east, west, to tell people they need to wear masks, that masks are the easiest way to stop this virus from spreading and to get everyone back to work. He doesn't think that he needs to impose a mandate for you to do the right thing. This is about the governor, trusting the people. I don't know why the governor is trusting the idiots out there, but he is. The governor is trusting uh, people. People are stupid and he's trusting stupid people to do the right thing. Uh, The governor has a higher opinion of humanity than I do. That's where we are in the state of Georgia. Uh, The hysteria from people is, is rather nutty. It is to be expected. But they're misrepresenting what's actually happening in the state of Georgia. I I find it, again, I find it very notable that even the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, not exactly friendly to the governor, is is doing a really good job of pointing out it's not that the governor thinks masks don't work. The governor actually tells everyone masks do work. They should wear them. He makes sure to be seen in public wearing a mask at all times. But he just isn't going to mandate it. Now, we'll get more into this. In the next hour, there's something else we need to talk about. Uh, the Trump campaign is has had a major overnight shakeup. I've actually got some details on this. Uh, Brad Parscale is out. He did not know he was going to be removed uh, until a couple of hours before it was made public. The president actually announced it on Facebook and took a lot of his team off guard. He's brought in Bill Sapien, uh, Bill, Bill Stepien, I'm sorry, Bill Stepien. And if you subscribe to my morning email, uh, you, you would get the details. I want to review those with you, though, because there is some, some useful information I have gotten from people close to the president on this. Uh, one of the first things out of the gate you need to understand is that the president is actually rather angry that members of his campaign uh, are viewed as shaking down his supporters. How many text messages have you people gotten from the Republicans Uh, asking for money, uh, that you've got a a 5X match, which is impossible, legally impossible. How how many of you have gotten these things? The president apparently is furious. He's now hearing from multiple people about how his campaign is shaking down small-dollar donors. He's livid. On top of that, he's also very livid about what happened in Tulsa. Now, uh, there is a spin on this, and and it's really important for you to understand. The Trump campaign s- says uh, the reason for the mess up in Tulsa is that a million liberals took all the tickets. They, they got online and they did this. That excuse is bull malarkey. How do I know? Cause I've run campaigns before. When you went to the Trump campaign website and you reserved your seat at the Tulsa rally, all you were doing was giving them your contact information it was a contact registration tool it wasn't a ticketing how do i know this well because they were preparing for spillover crowds they were bringing the vice president they were expecting this massive crowd a competent data manager could take all of that information and funnel it through a computer and pull up profiles of all the people and and get an idea that 50 percent of these people support joe biden or 35 percent of the people registering tickets are joe biden donors and, and would have a big tip off based on the data that, hey, we're being played here, we're not having this many people. Instead, what happened is the campaign started bragging. We've had millions of people register. We have millions, we're gonna have overflow crowds, we're gonna bring in the vice president, we're gonna have, have an outdoor rally, we're gonna have an indoor rally. And it did a couple of things. One, it built up expectations for a huge crowd. And two, it signaled to a lot of people at the time of a global pandemic where a virus is spreading that, hey, maybe if there are gonna be that many people, I don't wanna go. And a ton of people as a result stayed home. Brad Parscale is to blame for that. He is the one who went on television and built up the expectations and built up the hype. Brad Parscale, as a result, is uh, in the doghouse with the president. Another reason is because their grassroots operations are having trouble. Donald Trump is the first Republican candidate for president since Bob Dole in 1996 to spend money in Georgia during the summer of a campaign season. Bob Dole in the summer of 1996 had to spend money in Georgia trying to steal it away from uh, Bill Clinton. George W. Bush didn't spend money in Georgia. Uh, John McCain didn't spend money in Georgia. Mitt Romney didn't spend money in Georgia. Donald Trump in 2016 did not spend money in Georgia. Donald Trump in 2020 is having to spend money in Georgia. Now, some of you are saying, but wait, I live in Georgia. I remember their ads on TV. Yes, Uh, you remember ads because they were parts of nationwide cable package buys that ran in all the states. Uh, You did not specifically see, for example, whether it's uh, WSB TV in Atlanta or WMAZ down in Macon or um, whatever the, the Savannah and the Columbus and the Valdosta stations are. You did not see or Augusta. You did not see TV ads. For those candidates running on local stations, you saw it on cable through cable, national cable buys. You didn't see it on local TV. Donald Trump is the first Republican candidate for president since Bob Dolan 96 to run advertisements on local television in Georgia in the summer of a campaign. That is bad news for the president. You don't have to believe the polling. You can believe where they're spending their money. Every dollar spent in Georgia is not a dollar spent being el- spent elsewhere. Notice, by the way, Joe Biden is not spending money in Georgia. I've got more on that uh, in a little bit. Joe Biden's not. But the president's team has seen something that makes them nervous in Georgia. That's why they're spending money in Georgia. Uh, And they shouldn't have to. And that's another problem with Brad Parscale. And and that gets to the biggest problem is the president now realizes he has a problem in the suburbs and it's related to the virus. If you look at the Wall Street Journal poll that came out yesterday, the president has a 56 percent approval rating for his handling of the economy. But his overall rating is like 39 percent. It has everything to do with the virus. It has everything to do with a revolt in the suburbs about his handling. People don't feel safe. They don't feel like they can get their kids back to school. They don't feel like they can go back to work. They feel like the economy is, is being dragged down because of the virus. And they feel like the President is uh, derelict in his duty when it handles when he handles the virus. In other words, if he can handle the virus, He's going to win reelection because the economy will rebound and people trust him on the economy. But he's got to get there by wading through the virus, and right now people don't like it, and there's a fundamental issue with the campaign in the suburbs. Now, who is this guy, Bill Stepien? Well, he ran uh, Chris Christie's campaign in 2009 in New Jersey, a state hostile to Republicans, a state with suburbs that are hostile to Republicans, and Stepien was able to navigate a New Jersey suburban landscape that was hostile to Republicans and got Chris Christie elected. He's got the trust of the president. He was the White House political uh, director for a time. So he knows how to win in the suburbs. He knows how to win in liberal suburbs. He knows the president. The president respects him. He's a competent, capable administrator. He knows how to run campaigns. Uh, Stepien gives me hope that this president finally has a clue that he wants to win re-election. Brad Parscale flat out needed to go. Stepien coming in is really good news. The man knows how to win in the suburbs. He's going to give conservatives pause, by the way. Stepien's not a conservative. He's not a conservative. He's a Chris Christie guy, but he knows how to win in suburbs that have drifted to the left. Some conservatives are going to really complain about some of the stuff Bill Stepien wants to do, but ultimately he's going to be way more competent in winning suburbs for the president. I talked to a very prominent Republican last night, and she said she's not convinced at this point the president can cross the finish line in November ahead of Joe Biden. But what she is now convinced of with Stepien is that all of the the lower ballot fallout can be mitigated, minimized, and changed because of Stepien. She hopes that the president can win in November. She's not sure given what she's seeing, but she thinks – that uh, Bill Stepien coming in will do what is necessary for the Trump campaign to salvage other races so that Republicans do not have calamity across the ballot, across the nation. And right now, that is something Republicans need to see, that the president is mindful of not just his race, but down-ballot races. Hiring Stepien gives them that confidence the president realizes there's an issue. I'd like a moment of your time, please. I am furious with all of the text messages that i continue to get from uh the, the trump team and that is one reason apparently the president has heard these complaints from people and the president himself is fed up with them uh i, I want to read for you a, a buddy of mine is doing a story about a republican complaints about these text messages and he asked me if I could send him uh, some of the text messages that I've received. Let me read you. Here are text messages. Uh, yesterday at 8:05 p.m., I got congrats. You've been chosen a Trump state defender. You're eligible for a 400% match. Donate by midnight to activate your four times match. By the way, that's uh, legally it's impossible to do that on a on a campaign when you're getting text messages from campaigns about matches for nonprofits someone can do that for a campaign you can't do that why because there are limits uh the max that a person could donate i think is five thousand dollars now so if i were to donate hypothetically five thousand uh, dollars there's no way that someone could match me by four times because that would be twenty thousand dollars and that would be illegal and yet that was sent to me yesterday a uh, breaking. Democrats just voted to start Trump's impeachment trial. We're activating three times matching till midnight. That was sent January 15th, January 17th. Alert Schiff and Nadler will prosecute case against Trump. Fight back today. Three times matching for the next 925 patriots who stand with Trump. Uh, and then January 19th, Trump is on trial in two days. The results will determine Trump's legacy. Stand up and support Trump. Then uh, there is uh, from July 12th, uh, Trump flag shirt reserved for you. No better way to show your proud Trump patriot support. Claim your T-shirt by 9 p.m. Republicans downgraded. Radical left just raised $392 million online. Don't abandon Trump and his allies. Uh, alert. President Trump texted and you didn't respond. Don't let him down again. Stand with Mitch and Trump here. Five times match. Deadline alert. Newt texted. Karl Rove texted. President Trump texted. Mitch McConnell texted. Will you help us protect Trump's majority? The Senate is in major jeopardy of falling into Schumer's hands. Chip in today to secure five times a match. This is President Trump. The do-nothing Democrats will do anything to take me down. I need 397 patriots to fight back ASAP. Take a stand. This is President Trump. The do-nothing Democrats will do nothing to take me down. I need 397 patriots to help fight back. Breaking. Show your support for President Trump by ordering patriotic face masks made right here in the USA. Limited supplies. Get your patriotic wearable, uh, washable three-face masks made in the USA by pitching in before 11.59 p.m. here. Only 150 masks left. GOP alert. Republicans are in jeopardy of losing the Senate. SLF. uh, We need you to go off the sidelines and help Joni Ernst fight the radical left in November. I'm Steve Scalise. President Trump is on trial today. Join the president's events. Get a five-times match. GOP alert, Democrats are closing in on battleground states like Colorado to flip the Senate. Breaking, Democrats just voted to start President Trump's impeachment trial. Alert, Schiff and Nadler will prosecute the president. I have gotten, these are all screenshots of text messages that I have gotten uh, since January. I have started getting them almost on a daily basis. I am tired of them, everyone else is tired of them, and uh, the president apparently is tired of them enough to shake up his campaign. Uh, The Republicans doing this are just burning bridges with their donors, and they're going to see a wipeout of their fundraising if they keep spamming people in text message. This uh, The whole thing is crazy. It's got to stop. They need changes. When I come back, Ken Blackwell is going to join me adding uh, Black Voices for Donald Trump. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Uh, and I am, well, let's see. looks like he's on the, I have a guest. I, I've, I've got a guest coming. Uh, yes, I'm so delighted. I've known him for a while. Uh, The very first time, you know, I I grew up overseas. I've still been to more countries than states. The very first time I ever went to Ohio, I was uh, running red state and a group of us decided that we would go to Ohio in 2006 and knock on doors for the Republican gubernatorial candidate uh, who just so happened to be uh, my next guest, Ken Blackwell, who is joining me. How are
2: you? Hey, Eric. Good to be with you, sir.
0: You too look i, I I'm going to completely ambush you on on something and, and it, it's direct it's related to what we're going to talk about, but I got to ask you, have you seen the the thing from the National Museum of African American history that um if you believe in the scientific method you keep on time and you have two parents in your house that that's white culture
2: <laughs> yeah look i I uh, know that the left has been on a destruction to destroy. Uh, the traditional family, where uh, a father and a mother raises uh, their 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 children, um, uh, that that all of a sudden is what you know these knuckleheads are, are, are calling whiteness. Well, one of the things that I know is that before the uh, the Great Society program and and where. <laughs> Uh, government started to uh, create incentives for fathers to leave home and mothers to marry the government, uh, black families were, were, were intact. Uh, and even when they were struggling, uh, they, they understood that the, the family is the incubator of liberty. Uh, the, the left and big government programs has destroyed uh, the family. Uh, where now uh less than uh twenty five percent of uh young black kids are raised in two parent households, and so this is this is uh, th- that's that's not only as an insult it's a double insult in that they have it in a this coming out of a uh, institution that is supposed to be promoting uh, life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness among Uh, Blacks and and, 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 and codifying this in a recital of our our struggle uh, to make uh, America a more perfect union.
3: I just,
0: I, I, I was appalled by it. I, I knew you were uh, going to come on today and, and I wanted to ask you about it. And I, I figured you had seen it. Uh, and it kind of relates to what else we're talking about here as we, we have a supposed anti racists out there marching in the streets and protesting and we, we've got law and order problems in cities around the, the nation. A lot of people may not realize you had been mayor of Cincinnati. And yep. uh, yeah, I, you know, so I, I actually, I did not know this, but I found this in in reading uh, that one of the big things that you had to do as mayor of of uh, Cincinnati was deal with crowd control issues and the like after a um, the who deaths concert, of concert tragedy. goers at, yeah. at a who concert.
2: Yep, and you know, we we, we dealt with police community relations uh, issues. We we entered into a consent decree. Uh, uh, And and integrated our our, our safety forces, uh, and we actually uh, made sure that our 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 police forces, our safety forces, were well trained, uh, and 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 we we radically reduced uh, the the police community uh, challenges and problems that had started to uh, pop up in the 70s, in the in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, We got out in front of it. Uh, One of the things that we we didn't do was to uh, abandon uh, our leadership responsibilities at the local level. And that's what really irritates me, Eric, is that this notion that there is a pandemic of systemic racism uh, across our safety forces in America, therefore justifying calls for uh, defunding them, it's just nonsense, and it's, and it's part of a, a, not only a leftist but anarchist uh, strategy uh, to, to actually uh, fundamentally, uh, as they claim, uh, tr- transform our, our, our country. And our country doesn't need uh, fundamentally, uh, to, to be fundamentally transformed. Uh, we need to continue on the path that we've been on, and that is to make this a more perfect union. And, and we have to look at, f- at facts. In our 244 years of history, uh, we are positioned as the, the freest, the most diverse constitutional republic in all of human history. And one of the things that has given us this foundation for progress is a respect for the rule of law and the respect of the human dignity that God has invested in, in in each of us these same clowns that are calling for the defunding of the police department are the same clowns to try to run god and faith out of the public square because in their uh uh philosophy uh you in fact can chase god out of the public square and you can you can replace god with government uh just as uh, we we've, we've we've seen them tr- replace uh, fathers with government, uh, in the, in, 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 in our households across this, uh, this, this nation. You
0: know, along those lines, you've got a lot of Democrats out there. you got a, even some independents out there who they don't necessarily trust the president. They're looking at Joe Biden. And I don't know that people realize enough that uh... behind the scenes just like with the president behind the scenes the president has a lot of good people who put in place good policies and behind the scenes with joe biden uh, the voices that he would be listening to would be a lot of these mayors and other officials who are undermining the police around the country and, and undermining law and order particularly even within the black community as we're seeing a spike in crime in the black
2: community oh, oh ab- absolutely i mean you know bernie uh, carrick former police commissioner in new york city uh... and i we 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 we, we did a study we thought that what we would do, we would go to the New York uh, the Washington Post uh, database, and we figured that the left wouldn't argue with with their data. Uh, and that database indicates that uh, 1,003 people were shot and killed by the police in 2019. This occurred in a country with uh, 328 million people in a year during which the police had approximately 30 million contacts with members of the public and made approximately 10 million arrests, uh, 600,000 of them of which were for violent crimes. And of that 1,003 people uh, killed by the police last year, 405 were white, 250 were black, six. One hundred and sixty three were hispanic, and one hundred and eighty five were recorded as other or unknown ethnicity only fifty five uh, of those one thousand and three individuals were unarmed twenty five white suspects, fourteen black suspects, eleven hispanic suspects, and, and five other. There is not a systemic problem of racism in our police departments. The president was right on time after the after the wrongful use of force in the in the killing of George F- Floyd he put the attorney general uh, uh on on the scene uh they in fact said look we have to have greater transparency we have to make sure that we have a national system in place that will allow us to track bad apples and bad actors so that they don't move from department to department city to city state to state and 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 this is being put in place uh, That was responsible. Uh, That was respecting the rule of law. And it was an attempt to make sure that on a bipartisan basis, we could move forward in making sure that our safety forces were better equipped, better trained, not defunded. uh, And the Democrats have walked away from the table.
0: Well, not only have they walked away from the table, it seems like they're trying to just nurse the grief, which, I mean, I realize uh, arguably both sides do this on particular issues. But on on this issue, what we've seen is the nation seems like tearing itself apart, particularly in in urban areas, and they just want to fuel the grievance for Joe Biden as opposed to solve the problem.
2: Oh, absolutely. Look, I... If you just look at the facts, look, recently in Chicago, eighteen people were shot and killed within twenty-four hours—the deadliest day in the last sixty years. Another twenty-one people were shot dead in St. Louis over a recent weekend, and seven people were shot and killed in Brooklyn in a matter of ten minutes. You know, and, and Bernie and I—we just we, we we looked at the numbers uh, between two thousand and fifteen and two thousand and eighteen, uh, and and you know we we, we pulled out. Baltimore for instance averaged 330 homicides per year in a city of uh 550,000 uh, people and in 2019 there were in in in, in, in that city there were 348 and, and murders uh and in two, 2020 uh we they've already experienced uh a a pace to, that would suggest that 2020 is going to be equally deadly. And and you just underscored a point. Many of the mayors and police chiefs in those cities are black, like in Atlanta, and their officers are representative of the communities they serve. However, the second a black man dies in police custody, the left-leaning activists and, and politicians begin calling for sweeping reforms to combat the boogeyman of racism. Systemic racism. We have to put a stop to that nonsense and understand. Look, Eric, uh, what, the, what they have to understand in Atlanta, what they have to understand in Chicago and and, and elsewhere, Cleveland, Ohio, capital, capital is a coward. You're not going to have investment of capital in cities that are lawless and have a, a rampage going on and in, in many of these cities uh, they've they they've become uh, killing fields instead of fields of dreams uh, and, 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 and the slaughtering that that's going uh, going on is, is is similar is similar to the, the, the slaughter that goes on in Syria and Afghanistan. And and so if you want to turn these cities around and turn them around from being killing fields to fields of dreams You have to establish the rule of law, and you have to make it safe, or you're not going to get the injection of capital and economic expansion that you need to put people to work and to have them participate in their own uplift.
0: That is very well said. Uh, it, it is, and and I, I appreciate you taking your time uh, to talk to me. Before you get out of here, I need to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, you were Secretary of State in Ohio in two thousand four, and I, boy, I remember that. That was the mm-hmm. we had started Red State. MSNBC didn't realize I was conservative. Asked me to cover it. They were appalled when they found out they had gotten a Republican out there to do it. And I remember I, I was on the the Bush legal team and got a call. They thought I was going to have to fly to Ohio from New York yeah. to. Uh, be able to deal with stuff, and I, I would just love for you to explain to people uh, the, the the situation with voting in this country and and the concerns over uh, generic mail in balloting and, and the ballot harvesting that goes on out there. You probably know better than most people.
2: Well, look, it's it's just it's just crazy. Uh, one, uh, this this notion of uh, mass mail voting is is crazy. Uh, you have to clean up the voter rolls. Uh, you have to only mail to active voters, uh, but the the reality is, is that one we should understand that uh, even in the midst of this pandemic, as we work our way through and we reopen our our country and our states and our cities, what we have to realize is that. And let me just give you a perspective. I'm I'm, I'm chairman of the International Foundation for Electoral Systems. We are funded by in the main by the United States uh, Agency for uh, International uh, Development, Aid, uh, USAID. Uh, and we help countries across the globe in managing their elections, working with their election administrations. In 2014, when uh, Liberia was impacted by Ebola, We were able to establish protocols and and measures uh, that allowed them to conduct in-person voting and have a successful election. There's no reason for us to abandon. You know, we can work the calendar. We can use the protocols. But one of the things that you have with this mass mail voting is that you lose the the, the chain of custody, uh, you lose transparency in the system, and ultimately you lose, uh, you lose confidence in the vote, in, in, the, in, in the tally. And if you want to undo our system, destroy confidence in the integrity of our election system. This it, it is just like that's a crazy notion.
0: Yeah, and you know, I tell people all the time, I, I, I'm I'm totally okay with where you have to request an absentee ballot. Let if everyone wants to request one, do it. But the idea in some states that you will then let activists knock on people's doors and say, "Hey, we know you <laughs> haven't turned in your absentee ballot. We'll take it for you." I yeah, I, I don't see how crazy. we can let that happen.
2: No, it's it's, it's crazy, and, and we 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 have to we had to fight it, uh, and and we are going to fight it. When you stop to think. Uh, that Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania collectively were decided by fewer than a hundred thousand votes. Uh, you know that every vote matters, and you you must protect against voter fraud. And and and, and people say, well, there, there's not no widespread uh, proof of voter fraud. There's enough proof, but you know, I the, the framers of our Constitution said it best. They said, if men and women were angels, we wouldn't need laws and limited government. <laughs> the, the reality <laughs> is, is that we are we're 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 we're, we're not angels, uh, and and there's ample evidence that people will engage in fraudulent uh, activity. They will engage in, in voter intimidation, uh, and that would destroy the confidence in the, in the result. Uh, so uh, we have to use best practices, and we can do that. We have to, in the main, maintain our, our, our system of in-person voting where there is absentee voting. Uh, we, can, we should only, you should be upon request. There shouldn't be this blanket of sending out to uh, rolls where you're sending out to folks who haven't participated in elections in, 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 in four, five, six, eight, ten years or who are dead uh, because then you open the door you know, to uh, vote count manipulation and fraud. Uh, and, 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 look, uh, you, you go back to two, 2004 and you know that this is going to be a, a turnout election. Uh, it's going to be close. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, you know, there are those who want to get the, 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 original, the, the initial count into what I call the margin of litigation. Uh, and, and as opposed to allowing the people to decide this, they they, they want activist judges to decide yeah, that's the truth. it, and that's just wrong.
0: Well, listen, uh, I appreciate you so much taking the time out, uh, probably a little longer than you might have expected, but I just I always enjoy talking to you, and I thank you very much for doing this.
2: Thank you, Eric. Always good to talk with you.
0: Absolutely. Ken Blackwell, uh, former Secretary of State of Ohio, uh, with black voices for Trump uh, out there. A lot. Listen, I mean, the man was the mayor of, of Cincinnati. He knows how to how to deal with the city and, and deal with crime and, and deal with with elections because he was the Secretary of State as well. Such a good guy. All right. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I was actually glad to also let Kim Blackwell keep talking while I could mute my microphone because of the leaf blower on my front porch right outside where I broadcast the show. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Mary Trump. Mary Trump has written her tell-all book about the Trump family, and it tells you everything, if you hate Donald Trump, everything you already thought, uh, except there's a problem. It's not very well documented that she even has a relationship with her family. Uh, there really aren't a ton of photos of her hanging out with the family, and people who know the Trump family say they've never actually seen uh, Mary Trump engaged uh, in in family activities the way she claims. Now, maybe she has, maybe she has, but uh, the, the, it's it's somewhat dubious given the lack of evidence and the lack of eyewitnesses. But yet she wrote this tell-all book that tells people in the media who already hate the president all the stuff they already have done uh, all the stuff they already believe about the president, all the stuff they already hate about him, they all they all claim it, and so all it is is confirmation bias. Oh, we already believed he was a terrible person who who had all sorts of psychological issues. I mean, Brian Settler on, on CNN has on people all the time who've never met the president to weigh in on his psychology and sees nothing wrong with it. You know, they won't let anyone come on TV who's seen Joe Biden to talk about his mental fitness, but uh, by God, you watch an interview with Donald Trump on Fox News, and CNN's gonna have you on to say he wasn't mentally fit. It's just, it's crazy. If, If you, let me just reset this. Barack Obama objectively had a childhood mentor who was a communist who hated the United States. He got his start in the living room of a terrorist in Chicago, as a politician, uh, Bill Ayers, of the Weather Underground, held a fundraiser for him. He was the only member of the Illinois legislature to stand up in defense of doctors being able to kill children who were born alive after an abortion. And the media wouldn't let anyone come on and talk about that in 2008. They didn't want to talk about his ties to, to Jeremiah Wright or Louis Farrakhan. Didn't want to do any of that. You weren't allowed to. The, the media has given more attention to Mary Trump and her book than they ever gave to Barack Obama's half-brother. There is real media bias. You want to say anything critical of Barack Obama that is documented and true, you can't come on TV, but you want to say that President Trump is an alien from the planet Crap2 and Brian Steltler is going to have you on Reliable Sources on CNN for an entire hour so you can pontificate on how you know the president is a brain-eating alien from the planet Crap2. This total media bias when it comes to this and just be mindful of how they're trotting out Mary Trump to just reaffirm all the terrible stuff they already believe, even if it isn't very well documented in her book. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be really trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. The guests focus on the big picture and distill what the latest developments mean to our deeply held commitment to restore, strengthen, and protect the principles and institutions of American exceptionalism. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty To watch the most recent episode, it features Wall Street Journal columnist Kimberly Strassel. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end and then F-D-N dot org slash Liberty to watch the video. New episodes debut weekly. So come back often, subscribe to their YouTube channel, you'll be notified when a new one is there. It is the Bradley Speaker Series at bradleyfdn.org/liberty. Hello and welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show. The phone number, what is it? 877-97 Eric 877-973-7425. Y'all, I've I just as a as I just saw a message from a friend I had missed and I just I am finding this hilarious. So, you know, Delta is rolling over everyone's Sky Miles uh, because nobody can fly. So, if you were uh, a gold medallion last year into this year, you're going to be gold medallion to next year uh, through the end of next year. Well, it, so I figured out. So I'm platinum, and I'm mostly platinum because of my Delta Sky Miles card, and because I, I haven't flown since the end of February, but I figured out since they're rolling everything over, I need to fly somewhere that's 1,100 miles from Atlanta because that'll give me 2,200 miles round trip. And that will, for the first time in my life, make me diamond. And I, I love Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorites. I like Chicago more than New York. The problem with Chicago is that it is not far enough. And so I've got this, uh, you know, I, I do when we've got bad weather in the area, I'll pull up this, this radar program that I have, uh, and I will use my radar program and I got on my radar program because it has a cool little map function. And I can draw a line to Chicago and Chicago. It's only about 610 miles. And that's not going to do me any good. I got to go to 1,100 miles. So I drew out a line to 1,100 miles to see what was there. And you know where you land. Well, you land in Winnipeg, Canada. (laughs) But you don't just land in Winnipeg, Canada. And that's the key here. Uh, There are a couple of places you could go. Like I could go technically to San Juan. I could go to San Juan, Puerto Rico if I wanted. It's slightly more. I could go to Vegas, I guess. I could do something like that. Uh, But almost on the nose is Denver, Colorado. And there's a flight out and there's a flight back. I, I could go like on a Saturday morning, land, wait two hours, turn around and fly back. And I could become Diamond for the first time in my life. And I mentioned that on Twitter. Is it safe to fly? If I fly to Denver and come back, uh, I would suddenly have diamond status. And not only that, because Delta's extending it, I would have diamond status until 2022. That would get me ahead of the line all the time. And so I mentioned that, and I, I realized that I, I'm the most clueless person when it comes to this sort of stuff. The number of people who have text messaged me, emailed me, or interacted with me on social media I didn't know you smoked weed. I didn't realize Denver was code for I'm going to go buy buy marijuana, but apparently it is. Um, So now I guess i got to fly to Winnipeg. Uh, (laughs) All right. I I guess Mexico – I don't want to go to Mexico City. Um, I mean, I guess I could fly, like, to Salt Lake City and back, and that would – how much is Salt Lake City? Salt Lake City would put me at 15, so I would have a margin. I guess I could go to Salt Lake City, so everybody thinks I'm Mormon instead. (laughs) Just – Oh, man, the way people's minds work. I I clearly am not watching enough TV to keep up on pop culture. Now, uh, I want to move randomly. I realized that was very random, but I want to move back to something I talked about in the first hour. Uh, And this is actually rather important stuff. Um, I spoke to the governor yesterday at this time about the mask issue and I want to replay for you that part of our interview I did it in the first hour as well I warned him it was coming the second hour because not all the stations were, were with us in the first hour everybody's with us now I wanted to talk about it then I want to talk about it now here is the governor now last question on on this before we move on to the president's visit could you just talk about your views on masks because I know you're getting some pushback on making a mandatory or not and I think I understand why, why you haven't but wanted to give you the opportunity to explain
1: well, Dr. Toomey and I both and our whole team have talked about this a lot. I don't believe a mass mandate is going to work. Uh, you know, a lot of the local governments that are calling for mass mandates are passing them. They're not enforcing the current rules that we have on social distancing. You know, the bars can only be uh, open with limited capacity. I guarantee you that, you know, even though the locals have enforcement, Uh, many or probably none are not enforcing and, you know, writing warning tickets and things of that nature to make sure that our businesses are following the rules. And many of them are, but some of them are not. And the guidance that we have in place will suffice if people will, will, you know, just follow the guidance that we have. And part of the the guidance, even though it's not mandated is to wear a mask. It works. Um, If you're, you know, going in a public place or, a place is going to be crowded, wear your mask. If you're going out to eat, just keep your mask on till you get to your table. Your table's going to be socially distanced from other tables. Your server's going to have a mask on, and that will really work to help uh, stop the spread. But even with masks, the virus can can spread. So socially distancing is the best thing that you can do. Uh, and we shouldn't have to have mandates, Eric, for people to do the right thing. You know, right. we've got mandates on speed limits, and people break them every day. You know, nobody was worried about the socially distancing mandates or the large gathering ban that we still have of 50 people when the protests were going on. Um, and, and, you know, I understand why, and I was in that same camp as well. But we also, you know, we've got to be realistic when, when you have that scenario playing out and nobody's saying anything, it sends the message to everyone else that it's free reign out there. And, um, it's it's just not, we're going to have to live, learn to live with the virus, which we are, our hospitals have done that. Our doctor's offices have done that, but we also have to not only protect the lives of our citizens, but the livelihoods. You think about the, I mean, literally, you know, the reason that we're holding where we are, I believe if we start shutting down again, we're going to lose restaurants forever. We're going to lose a lot of small businesses forever and that economic toll is going to be devastating on our school budgets, on our healthcare budgets, on our social services budget. When you think about blind aids, disabled Medicaid and other programs. So we've got to balance both. And that's what we're doing every single day, 24
0: seven. Well, Governor, listen, thank you very much for stopping. That that was my interview with the governor yesterday. uh, And I wanted to replay that. I wanted people to hear that. Because uh, it's notable that the local media in Georgia is not giving the governor a hard time on this in the way the national press is. The national press will never forgive Governor Kemp for beating Stacey Abrams. Uh, They never will. Uh, And anything Governor Kemp does has to be amplified critically and negatively against him as a result of him beating Stacey Abrams. Now, why is it the n- local press in Georgia giving the governor's hard a time? The Democrats certainly are, and, and the media's is writing stories about the Democratic complaints, but they're not quite uh, antagonistic to the governor in the way the Democrats are, the, the local press, even the AJC. And the reason, frankly, is because uh, the governor has been telling people to wear a mask. He's been going around the state. Every time he's seen in public, he's wearing a mask. He has done an entire statewide tour to urge people to wear masks and raise awareness about the need to wear a mask. Uh, and uh, But he's not going to mandate it for the reasons he said. Uh, the, the cities and the counties that want the governor to wear a mask, uh, to, to force people to wear a mask, aren't enforcing the rules that they already have. Uh, listen, I, I got to tell you, you know, I live in middle Georgia and I have been to more than one restaurant where I have turned around and walked out because there were they were not practicing socially distancing, uh, social distancing. I have been to more than one place where an employee had their mask pulled down so that their nose was exposed. Uh, I've, I've seen multiple locations where people didn't have the mask on. In fact, I, I'll tell you this. Um, I went to Jimmy John's two weeks ago. You know, Jimmy John's is known for their their uh, crazy fast, spooky fast. I call. Uh, I think they call it spooky fast sandwiches. Uh, it takes me about ten minutes to get from my house to Jimmy John's, and by the time I get there, uh, my order, my wife's order is done, except this time, and I'm kind of glad. And I haven't been back since. Um, I went over there to Jimmy John's, and it was uh, they were behind, which is understandable. There was no real social distancing, but then there weren't a ton of people in the stores. But the the employees who were making the sandwiches, two of the three of them had masks on. The third one had his mask on. It was pulled down below his chin. He had on his plastic gloves and he scratched his nose before cutting my sandwich and wrapping it up. And I realized this probably happens all the time. But I also realized there's a virus. That is highly contagious. My wife has lung cancer and she would be in trouble if we got it in the house. And I had to ask him to make me a new sandwich and had to complain. And I hate to be a jerk like that. It, it, it's not my nature to do that. It, it's my nature usually to just be fed up and take it or, or not eat it. Uh, and I, I caused a stink and made him do my sandwich again. And I'm just, I, I was floored that the manager in there, nobody was paying attention to this. And I suspect this happens more often than not. Uh, but I've been into into places where that's happened. I've been into grocery stores and I've been into restaurants where people aren't socially distanced. Uh, I, there are a, a, a buddy of mine uh, told me about going out the other night to a bar and he left. His friend stayed because everyone was so jam-packed in there. Nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody was enforcing it. The police weren't coming by. Health inspectors were coming by. No no one. And the governor's right on this. Uh, if If you want him to mandate masks, well, start enforcing all the other parts of his order that are there. Employees wearing masks and wearing them properly, temperature checks for employees, uh, social distancing, uh, capacity limits, things like that. And local governments are doing that. What they want to do is they want the governor to mandate masks, so then they can send their police officers around and write everybody tickets and boost their revenue stream. That's why they want the mask mandate. It has nothing to do about safety at this point for most of them. It has to do with revenue. Uh, Georgia is notorious for local communities using local police officers to to boost revenue for their cities. That's why in Georgia. Georgia, it is against the law for police officers to use a speed detection device when you're going within 10 miles of speed limit. That's why you can go 79 miles an hour on the interstate in Georgia and it, no one's gonna pull you over, even though the speed limit's 70, because they can't. It's against state law. The only exception for that is if they're traveling 70 miles an hour and their speedometer says they're going 70 and you pass them, they can pull you over. There's a police officer up in Monroe County, just north of me, who's notorious for doing that on the interstate. It drives people crazy. Now, the the exception here is state police. The state police can pull you over if you're doing three miles over the speed limit with their speed detection devices. Local police can, and the reason they can is because for years in Georgia, there were notorious speed traps that would pull you over if you were three miles over the limit if you were from out of town. In fact, up in Atlanta, in Doraville, I think it's Doraville or Chamblee, I think it's Doraville, there's a lawsuit right now about the police up there being so aggressive with people passing through the streets of that city, uh, giving them tickets if they don't live there, using the, the license plate monitor cameras to determine whether or not they're a resident of the city. And if they're not giving them a ticket, there's a huge lawsuit about them using that as a revenue scheme because in Georgia, it is against the law to use ticketing as a way to boost revenue and yet that's what's going to happen and that's why the governor doesn't want to do this he doesn't want to turn half the state into misdemeanors or 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 criminals of some kind because they're not wearing a mask he wants everyone to wear a mask he's going around the state telling everyone to wear a mask he is wearing a mask but if you're not go if you're a local city and you're not going to enforce every other aspect of this why why do the mask thing you're not going to enforce that now one thing you need to be clear of here and this is being dramatically misrepresented by people The governor's order saying local governments can't mandate masks. They can request it. They can't enforce it. Has nothing to do with private businesses. Kroger is about to force you to wear a mask in the store. Fresh Market is already doing it. Uh, Walmart is going to make you wear a mask in Walmart. And that's fine. And everybody should be okay with that. And you should comply and you shouldn't be a jerk when they ask you to. And the governor's not going to overrule them. In fact, the governor has said he would encourage private businesses to make it mandatory. In my office, you must wear a mask in the building. And he's okay with that. It's been misrepresented that he's not okay with that. That's not true. He would like that. Kroger's going to do it. Walmart's going to do it. I'm waiting for Publix to do it. But you're going to need to wear a mask out there. Uh, These businesses aren't going to let you in to grocery shop without a mask on. Uh, And that's actually good. And that's actually going to um, that's actually gonna help with the control of the virus. I got to tell you, I think if the president's campaign and and, and maybe Stepien will do this, uh, if he will make mask wearing part of the campaign. That you want to help the president get reelected, you got to wear a mask to stop the virus. I bet three quarters of the people complain and will start wearing a mask because they don't want Joe Biden to get elected. They'll believe it if it comes from the campaign. It's it's one area of leadership I think the president really could exercise is to step up and say, "Hey, you got to wear a mask." It'll be funny to watch the left suddenly stop wearing masks and, "Oh no, we we got to stop wearing masks. We don't want this guy to get reelected." But you'll see all the all the Trump supporters out there start wearing masks. They should do that. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson. I I have to do something. A a, (laughs) buddy of mine just texted me uh, and he says uh, that that he will believe that I'm really his friend when I uh, dedicate a portion of my morning show to clown farts, the real problem we need to address. So to prove to him uh, just what a friend I am, I would like to note the blight of clown farts uh, across America. It is a terrible menace in society. Uh, We should all be up at night concerned about this menace. And, I mean, clowns are bad and evil anyway. Have you ever seen Poltergeist? This is, this is, this is, I mean, can you imagine if the Poltergeist clown farted under the bed? I just, Wade, this is for you. I need you to know I'm raising awareness just for you so that the world knows this is a serious Serious problem. Uh, We should probably end clowns anyway because they're scary and creepy and not actually funny. And the fact that we have to deal with clown farts in addition to the cow farts like Burger King. Have you heard Burger King? Uh, It it did an entire ad campaign. Apparently, they're going to have their cows start eating lemongrass because they won't have as much uh, gas, as much flatulence. If they do, who cares whether you're cow farts? I understand caring about clown farts, but cow farts, who who cares? And and cow belches. Burger King is running an entire ad campaign on this as if it's the biggest issue. And there are people out there who really care about it. But the the vegetarians and, and the vegans and the environmentalists are still outraged. Do you know why they're outraged? Because they really should stop selling cow meat anyway. What if they sold clown meat? Hmm. I'm, I'm just saying it's a problem. I, I I found it actually rather hilarious when I got on social media the other day to see that there was an entire campaign about, uh, uh, about cow flatulence, and it was all related to Burger King changing the diet of cows. Now, uh, the question is, if they're eating lemongrass, Is it going to change the flavor of the meat? I I have no idea on this. My my guess would be it would not, but I'm actually kind of interested in whether or not it would. Um, And the fact that these companies have decided that they in some way have to placate environmental activists these days. Have you noticed how this is kind of a, a sign that should trouble everyone on the right, how it is very clear at this moment that we as a society are kind of hijacked by the left. And it is the concerns of the left that matter greatly. It is the concerns of the left that we must care about. It is the desires of the left that must be fulfilled And a lot of this is cultural. Uh, Take, for example, radio advertising. So I've got a number of advertisers uh, for this program. In fact, this is a perfect time for me to tell you about one of them. uh, And that is uh, First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan, Georgia. They can help you get into the PPP program. They can get you in there. Uh, They can't guarantee it, but they want to help you. If you go to FirstLibertyGA.com, they will get you in. But more importantly, more importantly... Uh, There is also this issue with First Liberty Building and Loan. They help businesses become big businesses. And if you need access to capital in general, uh, First Liberty Building and Loan can help you. Now, we're talking millions of dollars. If your company needs millions of dollars... Uh, they're the people you want to see. You want to make your business a big business, go to first Liberty building alone. You can reach out to them at first Liberty And the reason I, I bring them up here is in cancel culture right now, uh, me having relationships with my advertisers is significant and important and, and keeps the boycotters from being able to come after me. Right now you have uh, a lot of advertisers that even though Tucker Carlson is the number one show on cable television, they will not advertise on Tucker Carlson's show because they are scared of angering the left. Uh, They And you have a lot of advertising executives in Fortune 500 companies these days who are of the left, are sympathetic to the left, and so will not steer money towards conservatives. They do not care about you as a market. And one of the reasons they don't care about you as a market is because conservatives are perceived as a weakened force right now. I will tell you, long-term, one of the things I want to do, I, I don't want to be an influencer. I even hate I hate the label influencer. But uh, I... I there have been so many charlatans and grifters on the right these days that have contributed to the lack of with the decline of conservatism in this country. I just kind of want to be someone who who you can rely on and say, you know what? This company's good. This one's bad. I like this product. I don't like my Rectech. I love my Rectech grill. Um, I, I love Rectech. Uh, in fact, Glenn Beck and I were trading emails this morning about my Rectech. He was asking when I was was cooking on it. I told him I'd gotten one. I got it before he started doing his ad campaign. I want to do an ad campaign for him, but it, it, it's great like to be able to do that but nowadays you got cancel culture on the left they're going to harass all these businesses so if you're in conservative media you got to develop relationships with your advertisers and your broadcasters because otherwise they're coming for you too. Hello there it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number you want to be a part of the program is 877-97-ERIC-877-9737425. Let us talk about uh, the campaigns for a moment the president here in Georgia yesterday uh, decided that he's going to get rid of a 51 year old regulation that is used by environmentalists to block infrastructure day you know we, we've been we've been promised infrastructure week since 2009. Uh, my buddy Joe Cunningham, he's actually uh, he's, he's listening right now, uh, and, and we we've had this ongoing joke. Uh, we, I think everybody has this joke in politics. Is it infrastructure week yet? We've been promised infrastructure week for for a year since 2009. Barack Obama declared it was infrastructure week, and we've never actually had infrastructure week. And finally, we had infrastructure day yesterday. The president came to Atlanta. It went to a UPS facility. By the way, uh, just real quick, for those of you who don't understand, who've never experienced this, when a president comes to your city, your major road arteries get shut down for security reasons, and traffic is destroyed. So, for example, when the president uh, comes to Atlanta, if he lands at let's let's say he lands at Hartsfield, that's where he landed yesterday. Sometimes he does. Two dead mayors, International Airport. He lands at Two Dead Mayors International Airport, and then he goes up to Buckhead. Now, normally, if he went to Buckhead, he would land at, Deca- at, at Dobbins. Uh, but occasionally, otherwise, if Joe Biden were to come in as a candidate, he couldn't land at Dobbins. He would land at Atlanta, but he'd be given the treatment as the candidate for security reasons. And what happens is your motorcade, before it leaves, the entire path to where you're going is shut down. And every on-ramp to the interstate is blocked. So no one can get on the interstate. You have to use um, our arterial roads. But as the motorcade advances, they block the bridges. Well, if you know Atlanta, Atlanta is divided in half by what they call the connector, which is I-75 and 85 together as one highway, runs up through the middle of the city. And as the motorcade moves, they block the bridges on both sides so nobody can get over the bridges. So you can't get over the interstate to get from one side of the city to the other, and you can't get on the interstate itself. Everything is stopped, and the interstate has to be stopped sufficient, with sufficient time for everyone who's on the interstate to get off the interstate before the motorcade advances, and it wrecks your traffic for a day. Barack Obama was notorious for coming to fundraisers in Atlanta on a Friday at four o'clock and traffic would be ruined and the president's done this a couple times too in fact when the vice president came through he went to dobbins and on the north side of the city traffic was a wreck when i went up to interview the vice president what when was it two months ago now When he was in the city, uh, he was the the Waffle House thing up in Gwinnett County, and then he went over to Ravi Zacharias' office to pay his respects after he had died. Traffic on the north side of the city was absolutely just destroyed. You could move on 285 north of the city towards the Brave Stadium. You could move fine, but if you were headed to the east, completely stopped. If you were headed to the north, completely stopped. You could move south with no problem. It was just a wreck. So that's a long way of saying uh, kudos to the president's team yesterday for when they came into Atlanta, they decided to do their entire event uh, at two dead mayors international airport and a UPS uh, facility right by the airport. So traffic wasn't shut down. They could essentially funnel the president around the campus uh, of the airport without him leaving. So traffic never messed up, except right when Air Force One was taken off and landing, uh, they would stop the traffic by the interstate as the plane was coming in. And uh, that worked. Now, the reason for the president's visit... Frankly, it was campaign-related. The president wanted to come to Atlanta, wanted to see this, uh, wanted to, to be in the city, wanted to be seen. He wanted to trot up uh, UPS workers to sing his praises and, and uh, Teamsters union members to to come talk about what he's doing. Uh, what he's essentially doing, there is a an environmental impact law from uh, – it, it was signed 51 years ago. It was the Eisenhower administration that put this forward, uh, I, I believe, and and then it was amplified by the Nixon administration that requires when you're building infrastructure projects in this country to do an environmental review. Let me get the, y'all, I can't do math in my head. I should be able to do math in my head, but I went to law school to avoid having to do math in my head. Uh, So it was, it was, I know all of you have already come up with the answer. I have not, 1969 Johnson administration that did this particular law and this particular regulation. The, regu- the law came from, originally with Eisenhower, it was modified by Kennedy, the regulation was put in by Johnson that requires an environmental review of all projects. It was part of uh, clean air, clean water, all that. The New York Times is beside itself with the president um, for daring to do this, for daring to roll back a 51-year-old regulation. But times have changed, and regulations from 51 years ago aren't exactly good now. Let me explain this in real-world circumstances to you what's happening. I live in Macon, Georgia. From my house, you sit on my front porch, you can hear I-75 if it's cold oddly enough if it's warm you can't really hear it if it's cold you know the air is more condensed and sound moves through the cold air you can hear the interstate i'm about maybe as the flow cry as the flow cries good lord as the crow flies (laughs) i'm part swedish y'all i trip over my tongue as the crow flies i'm about a half mile from the interstate savannah has a port that they are deepening uh for bigger ships Many of those ships sail into the Savannah port. They drop off their cargo. Their cargo is is uh, shipped from Savannah up I-16 to Macon. They're building a brand new interchange to handle all the 18-wheeler traffic that's coming through. And then it heads from Macon up to Two Dead Mares International Airport, where it's put broken up into pieces and put on planes uh, by UPS, FedEx, and the like to get around the country. The corridor between Macon and Atlanta is one of the most heavily congested corridors in the southeast, if not the most heavily congested corridor in the southeast, uh, for 18-wheeler traffic. And it is a mess, I can tell you. In fact, yesterday, I was headed up 75 uh, into Monroe County. Uh, I was just riding around up there, and there were two trucks. A FedEx truck was in the right lane where he should be, and there was a um, – oh, what is it? Um uh, J.B. Hunter, whatever, 18-wheeler in the left lane trying to pass him, maybe doing three miles per hour more than the FedEx truck. And it is infuriating when that happens, and it happens more and more. There are so many 18-wheelers behind in this section from the 75-16 split in Macon up to Atlanta. Now, I, I I'm trying to give you the lay of the land so you understand what's going on to make this point. The Georgia Department of Transportation wants to build a separate segregated highway in Macon where 18-wheelers can move on to this highway very much like a toll road and they can have unrestricted traffic all the way from Macon to Atlanta. There would be a couple of exits back onto the real interstate if they need to get off before then, but they could essentially, without having to deal with, with, uh, with, with commuters, without having to deal with you and me, the 18-wheelers can flow from Macon to Atlanta unimpeded and from Atlanta south. They want to, uh, two lanes north and two lanes south. It would actually help the environment. It would help the environment because right now there are so many eighteen-wheelers and others on the interstate. Uh, frequently, things get backed up. Things are congested. Even during the pandemic, there have been problems because there have been so many eighteen-wheelers. There have been wrecks. There have been you know their tires blow out. Uh, they hit other. Uh, they hit cars with the tire pieces. Do it causes all sorts of problems. There's now a, a toll lane uh, from Locust Grove up to roughly two eighty-five on seventy-five for for commuters. And the 18-wheelers can't get on that. So they want a designated essential toll road for the 18-wheelers. It would free up capacity on the major roads. It would free up capacity on 75. It would allow traffic to move more freely. That would be better for the environment. It would be better for commerce. It would get these trucks off the major highways into their own section. And the environmentalists are suing to stop it because they claim that it's bad for the environment to expand this interstate. Why? You know what their argument is? Rainwater runoff you would be adding additional concrete, which would collect additional water, which would wash over the roads with the oil and the gas and wash off into into streams. And that would cause problems. Never mind that it would actually speed things up on the highway and so people would be burning less fossil fuels. Uh, they found a way to... come. Uh, they found a way... To throw a monkey wrench into the building of this highway so the president came down to announce this particular project is a priority for the federal government uh, because it would it would speed up the flow of commerce on the southeast it's a major project for georgia because it would allow georgia businesses to move products around the state faster we've got more and more warehouses and supply chain distribution facilities in georgia it would help And yet they're being stymied by these environmentalists demanding more and more review and and liberal judges demanding more and more review. So the president, by waiving the regulation, ends all of that and the state can build the highway. It's a huge win for the state. It's a huge win for truck drivers. It's a huge win for the Teamsters Union. It's a huge win for commerce, huge win for business, huge win for commuters. Your commute, if you live between Macon and Atlanta, your commute will improve when this highway is built because all the 18-wheelers will be on this new highway, not your highway. And it's not like they're taking a bunch of land. They're essentially building a bridge, uh, bridges, and and they will be up on the bridges away from you people. You'll be safe from the 18-wheelers and their tires when they blow out on the road, which happens more and more, it seems like. This is a huge win for everyone. And uh, the president came to Georgia to do it. The left is infuriated by it, not really because of the environment, but because of commerce, but they're gonna keep doing it. Here's part of the president's speech yesterday in Atlanta.
3: Together we will defeat this virus and emerge stronger than ever before. We're here today. To celebrate a historic breakthrough that will transform the lives of workers and families all across our nation. For decades, the single biggest obstacle to building a modern transportation system has been the mountains and mountains of bureaucratic red tape in Washington, D.C. Before I took office, reviews for highways ballooned to an average of nearly 750 pages in length, and they were the good ones. They were the short ones. And I know because I was in business for a long time and I had to go through a process that was so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. We went through a process for building buildings usually. It would take forever. By the time you start building, the market changed. You said, you know, the market was good when we started. Now the market's lousy. So you say, the hell with it. We won't build. Sometimes you start building and you say, that was a mistake. But we went through years and years of litigation and uh, tumult, and it was just not good, but you go through it to an even greater extent. The maze like approval process represented lobbyists that were very rich. They were making a lot of money. I remember I'd go up to Albany, New York, and I'd see my lobbyists up there. I said, What are you doing here? I knew what they were doing. They were trying to make it more difficult, so you had to hire them for more and more work. Spend millions and millions of dollars for nothing. But too often they caused massive delays on top of everything else. And that way they got their fees over a longer period of time. It's one of the reasons why, for example, the average Atlanta driver spends an incredible 77 hours in traffic during a short period of time. But all of that ends today.
0: Good for him. Look, this is actual presidential leadership. You may not like what the president is doing and there there are there are some people who don't for they got legitimate reasons for doing it but i disagree with them i think what the president has done in atlanta uh by getting rid of this regulation is good now notably joe biden could put it back but there is a process and i think the president uh is showing real leadership here and the doom and gloom from people is crazy The New York Times essentially saying if you support this, then you want dirty air and dirty water. The the president actually spoke a little bit about this yesterday in Atlanta.
3: At the same time, we'll maintain America's gold standard environmental protections. The United States will continue to have among the very cleanest air and cleanest water on Earth, which we do now. We have the cleanest that we've ever had, meaning ever. (laughs) Cleanest we've
0: ever had, meaning ever. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, we actually have—we uh, are releasing less carbon in the air now than we were in 2000. That's a fact. Uh, our air and water actually is better than it has been in the past. And and the left hysteria that the right just wants to pollute. No, we we don't want to pollute. We want to conserve. Uh, but the fact is that there is a balance, and we have overcorrected to the side of stymieing innovation and commerce in this country in favor of environmental activists who will accept nothing. Uh, for years and years, you know, for example, in, in middle Georgia, where I am, they were trying to build the fall line freeway. In fact, if you're in Macon, if you go to Macon, you should do this experiment. You should just see it. Uh, there is a, a Eisenhower Parkway, which used to be a, a hub of commerce. It's now just, it's sad to drive that road. Uh, but it comes from Columbus. It's, it's us 80 and you get into Macon and you drive it to its end, and It just dead ends in, into essentially a wall. And the plan was to take that road and stretch it around to I-16 to improve the flow of commerce. Well, environmentalists for years complained you were gonna go through uh, brownfields, you were gonna go through the Akhmogi National Monument, you were gonna do all sorts of things. Environmentalists ultimately killed it, uh, not really because of the environment, but because they didn't want the commerce. And as a result, uh, Macon has now been bypassed and this road uh, has been built to the south of the city Through different counties, it does not touch Bibb County and deservedly so. The environmentalists have deprived uh, middle Georgia of a major economic source and highway uh, because of using these sorts of regulations and lawsuits to, to stymie these sorts of highways. And now, as a matter of fact... Uh, we're going to see progress with this, uh, 18 Wheeler highway and others through the state. And it's not just going to be Georgia. I focus on Georgia cause all my affiliates by and large are in Georgia right now, but it's a good example for everyone else listening nationally. Uh, this happens all over the place. It happens in, uh, it happens in California with the building of water reservoirs in arguably California needs more water reservoirs, but environmentalists have used this regulation to block their construction. Uh, in uh, the north, in Chicago, Chicago needs greater infrastructure, and they block that as well. Uh, there are private sector gas, oil and gas or gas pipelines in particular that flow across federal land, and environmentalists have been able to block their expansion and drive up the cost, uh, and this will speed up their ability to get across federal land. This is all good for the country. It lowers costs it builds efficiencies, it helps us expand our energy production, and it also helps us move commerce faster. And yet there are people who hate the fact that our capitalist system works as well as it does, and they've used regulations like this to go to war with it. It's not that people want there to be pollution, it's that they want there to be a proper balance between commerce and environmental examination. And we have overcompensated, overcorrected, and now the president's setting real balance, and that's good. I am back. Kroger and Walmart, as I mentioned, are going to start making you wear masks uh, and they're going to enforce it. I got to say something. Um, and I, I don't think this will upset any of you. But I, I, I'm I'm actually really genuinely annoyed and surprised at the number of people who are complaining complete, how do I say that? Biblical donkeys. <clears throat> uh, when asked to wear a mask by a private business, you know, you don't have a right to go into the grocery store. It's a private business. It, it, they can set the terms on your entry. And I'm, I'm really flabbergasted actually by the number of people who are just plain nasty to the person who's checking them out at the grocery store. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I see this happen all the time and I think it really is a sign of poor character. Let let me tell you that there's a reason I don't care for Rick Santorum. And I know a lot of people on the right, like Rick Santorum, but I've, I had two interactions with Rick Santorum in my life where I observed him being rude to people who what one was a hotel employee and one was a reporter who just needed to verify a quote and it just it always struck me and i've heard subsequent stories from people who've worked in his office that he was like that with people and maybe i've misjudged him but but i've had several people share these stories with me that that reaffirmed to me that uh when you're nasty to the little guy that says something about you and when you go into the grocery store and the the 18-year-old bag boy who is there sanitizing the grocery carts so that you don't get a highly contagious virus and he says sir I'm sorry you've got to wear a mask in here and you cuss him out you are a horrible human being and that speaks very poorly of you and your character and i it just it, it's remarkable to me to see people's character in the time of this virus and how low the character is of some people who I've thought highly of in the past. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a real problem. It's, it's a real problem to me to see people who can't understand when, when a grocery store just asks you, please put on a mask out of respect for everyone else. And you throw a fit about it, uh, grow up people. The governor of Georgia is asking you to wear a mask. He's not forcing you to wear a mask. But when the store tells you to wear one, uh, you don't have to shop there. But if you do, shut up and comply with what they want you to do. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be really trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15 minute interviews. The guests focus on the big picture and distill what the latest developments mean to our deeply held commitment to restore, strengthen, and protect the principles and institutions of American exceptionalism. Visit BradleyFDN.org Liberty to watch the most recent episode. It features Wall Street Journal columnist Kimberly Strassel. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end and then FDN.org Liberty to watch the video. New episodes debut weekly. So come back often. Subscribe to their YouTube channel. You'll be notified when a new one is there. It is the Bradley Speaker Series at BradleyFDN.org slash Liberty. I'm here. I'm here. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. My buddy Ken Buck, Congressman from Colorado, is going to be joining me uh, in uh, the bottom of the hour. He's got a piece up on TikTok and on on. Preserving our monuments out there as well wants to talk about it. Happy to have him on. Uh, But we got stuff we got to talk about right now. And the phone number, if you want to talk, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Are your kids going back to school? I I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. Are your kids going back to school? I was actually just texting with a friend of mine who's a, a school teacher. He thinks they're going to go virtually. Um, there's a story in the New York Times today. Let me let me start this out for you. Uh, Claire Kane Miller in Honolulu, Hawaii. Nearly all public schools are planning to allow students to return for just part of the week. But at Punahou, a private school for grades kindergarten through 12, schools will open full-time for everyone. The school has an epidemiologist on staff and is installing thermal scanners in the hallways to take people's temperature as they walk by. It has a new commons area and design lab, as well as an 80 acre campus that students can use to spread out. There were already two teachers for 25 children, so it'll be easy to cut class sizes in half to meet public health requirements for small consistent groups. The same thing is happening in communities across the country. Public schools plan to open not at all or just a few days a week, while many neighboring private schools are opening full time. Private schools may reverse course if there are outbreaks in their communities and governors could still shut down all schools if they determine the local infection rates call for it. Some families and teachers won't feel comfortable returning, but the ways in which private schools are reopening show it can be done with creative ideas and the money to carry them out. On the same day, there is a story in the LA Times. It is headline story in the LA Times. Uh, that parents are worried about what's going to happen with school. And there is a growing frustration about whether or not schools are going to be able to reopen because parents need to plan. There is a lot of uncertainty out there uh, in society right now. There is so much uncertainty over the future because of the virus and our inability to contain it, even as other countries have. There is growing frustration. There is growing anger, growing impatience. It's clearly hurting the president in the polling. It's remarkable that the Wall Street Journal, uh, NBC Wall Street Journal poll, has the president at 56, 54 56%. 56 uh, support for his handling of the economy. He's like at 39% approval rating. Joe Biden is crushing him in the polls. And the reason has everything to do with his handling of the virus or what people perceive as his lack of handling of the virus. His administration, and I got an email from a, a listener saying, how, "How? what do you think the president should have done differently? president, frankly, did a lot right early on with China the like, um, but the mask guidance we not only know was flawed uh, but should have been corrected and the president should have been the messenger on it. Uh, the federal government was buying resources that the states needed, uh, and the federal government was buying them for homeland security and other uh, and, and shortening supplies. The federal government has um, hindered the ability to get supplies. Let, let me give you a real world example of something that uh, I think that the administration is is messing up on. I've got a friend. He's actually based here in Georgia. He works with a company that is based in Florida and they make N95 masks. Uh, they've got their certification, everything. Uh, and they don't sell to you and me. They, they, you can't go buy 10 masks from this company. It's a medical company and they sell 100,000 masks. They sell million masks. They have sold... 50 million masks in Mexico. They just did 35 million masks in Belize. They had to hire airplanes to transport them themselves to get it done. They don't have a a third-party distribution chain. So this medical company that makes all sorts of medical devices has shut down all of its supply manufacturing except for surgical masks and N95 masks to meet a demand. And they're meeting the demand in Central America. They're meeting the demand in South America. They're meeting the demand in Europe. But they're a domestic company manufacturing masks here in the United States, and they can't get the government to return a phone call. Why? Because the government bureaucracy wants to deal with 3M. 3M is inarguably the gold standard, but 3M has a six-month backlog. And an N95 mask is an N95 mask. It doesn't matter whether you got a 3M mask or someone else. N95 is certified based on the amount of particulate it can block. And I've been trying to help my buddy uh, get some contacts, and it's 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 mind numbing to see. And for all the problems that we have, and we know we have, the federal bureaucracy still causes issues. Uh, and so he he is this friend of mine whose company is selling the mask they're – they're trying to reach out to corporations and establish things there. I've got a friend of mine who actually runs a a company y'all would know um, that, that actually does distribution. And I'm trying to pair him with those, with that company to to be their domestic distribution supply chain. Because if, if they can get a domestic distributor and not be working directly, well, the distributor has credibility and they could go through the distributor. And so they're trying to work together to do that as well. And I'm just trying to bring people together to make this sort of stuff happen because that's one of the examples where the federal government has collapsed. Uh, in on In on itself is the bureaucracy is stymieing innovation and is unwilling to work with new parties coming in that have products to sell that are certified to be sold. Uh, it, and it's causing all sorts of problems. I mean, if you got a company and you need 100,000 masks, let me know. I'm, I'm happy to to connect you with the guy. But it, I mean, it, I think their minimum sell as a hundred thousand. They're typically over a million uh, and and they've got the supply to be able to do it. And it's just, it's crazy that they're having a real hard time uh, making inroads there. That's one of the issues. A clarity from the administration would be a good thing. Uh, Having Peter Navarro out undermining Anthony Fauci uh, is something uh, that isn't good. The administration has allowed a bunch of people to go out and undercut each other in the press. That's not good. And what we've gotten to at this point is a lot of uncertainty in the public. And that uncertainty is coming to a head on the issue of schools. Can schools reopen? This one hits close to home for me. My wife, as regular listeners know, has lung cancer. Uh, She has a lung cancer that there's no cure for it. It's genetic. Uh, but it can be held in remission, essentially, that the tumors can be stopped from growing thanks to a medicine. Uh, but she's got the tumors in her lungs. If she were to get the virus, it would not be good. And can we send our children back to school? Are we going to have to homeschool? Will our private school that we go to offer us a virtual option so that our kids can go to school without being there? And, you know, the data shows overwhelmingly that sixth grade and younger, you don't have a problem. Uh, elementary school kids can go. They're not going to be transmitters of the virus. They're not going to get the virus. Only in very rare cases do they get the virus. You don't even have to wear a, let them wear a mask. Just make them do good hygiene, regular hand washes, and and you'll be good. It's the older kids, though. And... There are, let's just be honest, a lot of people out there who think this is overblown, that it's not real, they don't know anyone who's gotten it. Um, They they think it's all a conspiracy to prevent the president's reelection. I've heard that from people. Uh, They they don't think masks work. They're not gonna wear a mask. It's, It's an infringement of their liberty. They're not gonna do what people ask them to do. And do I want my older child who would be susceptible to the virus, even if it would be a mild case, to go to school, be surrounded with people who may be transmitters of the virus and pass it back into our house, given her mother's condition. That we got a real concern there. What will our school do to keep the kids safe, but not just keep the kids safe, but to encourage the responsibility of the families, understanding that there are people who have compromised immune systems whose kids go to that school? It's, it's a real concern for me. It is a concern for my wife. My wife is starting to get nervous about sending our kids back to school if we can't get this control. It's particularly, you know, the school had decided it was going to reopen, and – The virus was declining in Georgia, but the virus is skyrocketing in Georgia right now. Every day comes a new record high. Every day comes a new record high hospitalization in the state. People aren't doing what they need to do. And this is not an issue of the governor. This is not about the governor. This is about individuals who know what they should do, and they're not doing it. Let's say you don't want to wear a mask. You think a mask is overrated. Okay. For the sake of argument, I'm going to say, okay. Are you going into crowds? Are you socially distancing? Are you avoiding crowded indoor spaces? Are, are you going to bars? Are you hanging out with large groups of people? Those are the things we know are vectors for the viral spread. I, I know someone who thought it was no big deal, thought it wouldn't happen to him thought it was overplayed, thought it was overblown, and went to a bar with friends, was out drinking, no social distancing, and not only has this virus, but passed it on to someone else. And that person's actually in fairly bad condition. And they thought, well, it can't happen to me. It's no big deal. It's a a conspiracy to hurt the president. I don't know anybody who's gotten it. It's all overstated. Um, And actually, it, it actually is a concern. If people exercise individual responsibility, people don't have to worry, but we're seeing the virus spread, not because a governor has failed or the president has failed, but because people have failed to do what they need to do. And this all comes home to school. People need their kids to go back to school. Parents are, are bad at homeschooling. And by the way, in poor areas, in, in parts of the state where most of you are listening to me right now, is I'm not on Atlanta. I have an evening show in Atlanta. And I have a morning show that's statewide. And if you're listening to me right now, more likely than not, you're not in Atlanta unless you're streaming somewhere. You can stream at theresurgent.com these days. We've got the show streaming there or on Facebook. But by and large, you're listening on a radio station. You're listening not in Atlanta. And so the odds are you're listening in an area that is less capable of handling virtual classes and Internet live stream and and high-speed Internet which puts your kids at a disadvantage if schools not open. And increasingly, we're seeing that people aren't going to be able to open schools because the virus is spreading and people aren't doing what they need to do to step up to have personal responsibility. And you've got kids who come to school. My my, my daughter has someone in her class who thinks this is all a hoax. Still, they don't know anybody who's gotten it. So they're not doing anything. Um, this becomes an amplified problem over time when we need the economy to get to work To get the economy to work, we've got to get workers back. To get workers back, we've got to get their kids back in school so the workers can't be home homeschooling their kids. There are cascading effects here. And the uncertainty is beginning to build. I'm hearing it in my wife's voice when she talks about the issue for our kids. Will they be able to go back to school? Will they have to virtually learn? Are we going to have to homeschool? Are we going to have to send them to a different school if our school can't accommodate the concerns? And I think our school has a plan but as we're seeing with the virus escalating again, the plan was premised on the virus being in decline and not getting it. And now we know it's it's spreading in our community again. Bibb County, where I am, is having record high cases. And everybody feels that stress right now. It is stressing everyone out. And this, again, is why I think if the president's campaign came out today and the president did a huge ad campaign and said, wear a mask, and the president was in a mask and he did that, and he's got Trump 2020 masks and they're giving them away to people, you would see his entire campaign support, start wearing masks. So many of the most vocal critics of this are people who support the president. If the president came out and said, I'm gonna lose unless we get this virus contained, and the best way to contain it is for everyone to wear a mask, the entire support base of the president would put on a mask by the end of the day, he could exercise some leadership on that front. And frankly, if everyone did wear a mask and wash their hands and socially distanced, we would see the virus decline and you would see some peace of mind come back and that it would be okay to send your kids back to school without having to do all these special things that rich private schools are able to do that poor private schools and public schools can't do. There are ways to move forward. The problem is that everybody is so busy blaming everyone else. No one actually wants to do what they need to do, and half the people out there still think it's no big deal because they don't know anyone yet who's had the virus, even though millions of people have been infected and over a hundred thousand have died. At some point, you got to start stop blaming people and actually start figuring out what can we do to stop the virus. And it's actually pretty simple: socially distant, wash your hands, wear a mask. Buddy of mine listening to the station on on uh, W. Uh, uh, WCHM up in Clarksville, um, is, um, he <laughs> said he just heard the Stacy Hall ad up there. Uh, if you guys don't know, uh, I have endorsed Stacy Hall for the state senate. Uh, he's got an ad up uh, in Habersham County on WCHM, the radio station where I'm I'm broadcast, and I, I, I hope you'll consider his candidacy for the state senate. He is a he's a good guy, uh, and uh, you know, given the legacy issues we're dealing with in the state legislature and the nepotism, I, I think having a fresh face in the legislature, uh, would be a good idea, particularly when it comes to things like the board of pardon and parole. I asked the governor about it yesterday and the governor's wife is furious about the situation with the board of pardon and parole. I am told multiple members of the state legislature are considering articles of impeachment, uh, against the entire board. Uh, not just one person, but multiple members of the legislature are considering it uh, because behind the scenes, they're starting now to hear from district attorneys that there are real problems with the board. In fact, uh, I got I have had several emails from people who work for the Board of Pardon and Paroles. I can confirm their identities uh, because they used uh, email addresses that allowed me to, to trace back who they actually are. And uh, they all speak very highly of a lot of the work that Pardon and Paroles does, but are highly critical of the way the actual current board members have operated and think there are real problems. And, and there really are. Now, if, if you're new to this and you haven't heard my, my tirades on this, the the, the world's uh, most prolific collector of child pornography lives in Georgia. And uh, he was sentenced to 1,000 years in prison. And he was let out of prison after seven years. 993 years short of his prison sentence. And the Board of Pardon and Parole says it was guidelines they use allowed him out of jail. Uh, but they won't tell us what the guidelines are. They won't tell us the grounds for his release. They won't tell us anything. There are several court cases in the last couple of years from the same members of the Board of Pardon and Paroles who have said uh, that the criteria are actually pretty subjective. And as a result of this, as a result of this, there are all sorts of um, major issues that are going on behind the scenes, and I gotta, I, I gotta tell you, um, I you're gonna think I'm a broken record when I talk about the board of pardon and paroles, but I can assure you, what happens, I I know the way this works. These people think that we'll let it go, that we will forget it, that it will that that it'll be forgotten and they can keep doing what we're doing, or they can keep doing what they're doing. And it's unfortunate that they think they can get by with it because of our memory and the legislature's unwillingness to investigate. It is time for something to be done about the Board of Pardon and Paroles. When you allow out of prison a man sentenced to 1,000 years for the express purpose of ensuring he could never get out, and then 993 years before he should be let out, you let him out, there's a sign that something is not right at the Board of Pardon and Paroles. Now, as the governor mentioned yesterday, I asked the governor about this yesterday, the governor says his wife is is furious, um, and he, he, he said they're looking into it. There are some people, even within the governor's office, who will say it's no big deal and it's not a high priority. Um, it, It is going to have to become a high priority for everybody. Because I'm not going to let it go, and I'm going to annoy you, annoy you people for continuing to talk about this. But it is for your children and you that I'm doing this. Uh, in The fact of the matter is that this man, uh, Peter Mallory, has been released into the wild. They know where he is. He's at a, some sort of boarding house in Atlanta. And the boarding house, according to one um, employee of the Board of Pardon and Paroles tells me, is a, is a den of child predators. That's how he described it. Uh, it is a halfway house run by a charity where these people can park and um, it, it is it filled with people who have these sorts of issues. And this is a man with a compulsion to that sort of behavior and that makes it very problematic. So it is good to know that members of the legislature are moving forward with impeachment of the Board of Pardon and Paroles. I hope they will sustain it. I hope they will see it through. I hope there will be vocal outcry. I intend to do an action item on this. I intend to get people to rally their support for reform. I intend to make sure people uh, contact the governor's office and the like to let them know that there's a problem and something must be done. And frankly, I think at, at this point, the governor having had no chance to appoint anyone to this board, that it gives the governor an opportunity to call for some of them to resign so he can appoint new people and clean it up. That would actually help the situation. It is me. And that would be Eric Erickson. I got a treat for you guys. Uh, A friend of mine who happens to be a congressman from the great state of Colorado uh, is joining me. And we were going to talk about something else, but now he's got an op-ed out about TikTok. And I'm going to ambush him with that. Ken Buck is joining me, congressman from Colorado. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I'm great. It's good to hear your voice. How's the family? The family's doing very well. My son is now
4: out of the Army and, and living in Colorado and has given me a granddaughter, and my, my daughter has given me two grandsons, so life is really, really good.
0: That is great. Makes you wish you were there all the time instead of Washington.
4: <laughs> uh, the, 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 there's no doubt. I, I prefer to fly west than east. The, uh, the swamp is a great place to leave.
0: Well, you know, I, I was going to text you the other day. By the way, just just as as a personal aside here, I was talking about this on radio. If I can go somewhere that's about eleven hundred miles from Atlanta, I can be diamond status. And the only reasonable place other than Winnipeg, Canada, is Denver. So I may have to come socially distance with you soon. <laughs> just so I, I would, I, can get I would status. love to do that. All right. Now, let me ask you about TikTok, uh, because I, I've been raising this concern. Last year at my, my resurgent gathering, we had a number of people on stage who are raising concern about it as, a, as an espionage tool of the Chinese. And a lot of people don't seem to understand what exactly is going on.
4: Sure. Well, the, the Chinese use a lot of uh, tools to gather information on Americans, personal data. Uh, they, they gather uh, financial data, credit card information and, and other information. And it is uh, ultimately uh, a tool of, of war if, uh, if there is a conflict, uh, uh, various you know each country wants to shut down the other country's economy, and, and our economy is so dependent on uh, online uh, transactions that, uh, that that is what they're doing. They're gathering information. and, and the, the, the TikTok uh, app um, all the information it gathers about uh, buying habits and, and uh, geolocation and everything else goes right to the Chinese Communist Party and and is used by them to, to store data on every American.
0: It's, I, there's, a, it, there's a website I read all the time. It's a technology website called uh, Stratechery. Uh, ben Thompson, who lives in uh, Taiwan, writes it. And let me read you one of the things that uh, he has written there. I'm, I'm trying to find it as I pull it up. Uh, that One thing that must be understood and appreciated is that the Chinese ideology is interwoven into their commerce. Uh, we can abhor and condemn and encourage everyone to speak out about what's happening in, in to the Uyghurs and Jinping. Uh, I'm not counseling U.S. intervention, but what is increasingly clear is that China demands we ignore their internal affairs and it's not reciprocated. And not only is it not reciprocated, but they have a communist ideology that has decided to weaponize American free market desires to undermine free market desires and prop up the communist regime abroad, uh, which I thought was a pretty insightful piece. And I, I think a lot of people think, hey, you know, we can we can separate the ideology of the communists from everybody just wants to make money. And in fact, in China, their desire to make money and their communist ideology is completely linked. You can't separate the two.
4: Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why the state, uh, the, uh, the government of China um, is involved in uh, stealing, uh, intellectual property and, and other, uh, you know, uh, uh inventions in, in the U S to, uh, to be able to boost their economy because they see that so much as, uh, the, 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 the really the future of their, uh, uh, desires in the world. They use their, uh, their investment dollars in, uh, Africa and other countries to uh benefit the uh business in China it is absolutely uh part of the strategy that the uh the communist government uh not only controls the business but but also uh supplements the business with their uh their military and in- intelligence infrastructure
0: now <laughs> Moving from the communist Chinese to the American communists, <laughs> we we've got a, a Antifa and the like out there in this country uh, waging a. a- fairly public war now on our culture and history. And I, I know you've written about that, And including I've got this piece pulled up from National Review you wrote on the 7th, Why Progressives Wage War on History, uh, from changing the name of, of Princeton's uh, Woodrow Wilson School of Public International Affairs uh, to tearing down statues of George Washington and Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, it seems like not only do we have profound ignorance of history in this country, but a lot of people on the left just simply don't care.
4: Well, I think it it goes beyond that that they don't care. I think that in order to create a a socialist and godless country, they need to tear down our history. They need to do away with the Bill of Rights. They need to rewrite uh, the Constitution, whether it's formal or 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 just informal by tearing it down. They can't get to where they want to go uh, with with the kind of of, of top down government structure they want if they allow Americans to believe that uh, we were founded uh, to break away from a monarchy, where we were founded uh, to give people control over government and not the other way around. And so I, I really think that this is a part of a strategy and it's been part of a strategy for a long time uh, with the progressives to uh, ever since you, you go back to Woodrow Wilson. And, and it's really uh, a, a, a desire to create this massive federal government. Uh, that takes away states' rights. That takes away individual liberties. Uh, that that's their goal, and and that's what they are working on right now.
0: Well, you, you know, you, you mentioned Wilson. Jonah Goldberg years ago wrote his great book, Liberal Fascism. That that all the people who criticize it seem not to have read it. And he talks about Wilson, and, and Wilson had a brown shirt brigade that would go around and harass anyone who question him and his policies and uh, the left loved him of course he was also a deeply racist individual it seems who resegregated parts of the american military wasn't a, actually the great president the left brought him up to be you would never know that uh from history and and the left itself since then seems to just genuinely not care to learn history because they're always advancing progressivism they never need to look backwards to see what we've done as a country and it was just it was a fascinating book uh by by Jonah and just a, a deep history of progressive on just it, it intentionally lacks any sense of where we've come from as a people so that it can advance in different directions.
4: But I think the great part of studying Woodrow Wilson is that if you look at every socialist takeover of, of a country, uh, most recently Venezuela or, or Cuba, they have to have uh, a, a brown shirt brigade. They have to have a, a group of thugs that are uh, doing the will of the government because people don't uh, voluntarily work hard so that they can give ninety percent of their revenue to the government in, in the form of taxes or, or some other extortion. So there, there has to be a a, a force that uh, the government uses to uh, to move a country towards socialism and. Uh, Certainly Woodrow Wilson was an example of that, but we see it all around the world since Woodrow Wilson, and and it's one of the things that, that if Americans studied history more, they would understand they're going to be giving up their liberties if they accept what the left is offering.
0: Well, yeah, you, you mentioned that, and uh, that's such a great point. It, it, it's been interesting to me over the last couple of years to see how not just the left, but the media in general characterizes Trump supporters as as uh, thugs and goons and on intent on an authoritarian regime in this country. And yet they're not the ones tearing down statues and driving people out of business and, and smashing up businesses and, and scaring people and silencing people uh, so that they can't actually speak up and say what they believe.
4: And the last time we saw the right really react the way the left is reacting now was the sort of the Tea Party movement of, of 2009 and 2010. And you didn't see violence. What you saw were peaceful protests with Americans coming together to say, our government can't keep spending as much money as we're spending. Our government can't take over one-seventh hour of our economy and dictate our health care uh, needs and, and uh, solutions. And so... Uh, It it is it is it's a great contrast to look at what the left does when when they are in protest mode and what the right does when, when we're in protest mode.
0: I think it was either Amanda Carpenter or Mary Catherine Ham I think in in 2007 or when was it 2009 with the rise of the Tea Party and the protests in those August town halls where people were showing up to complain about Obamacare pointed out that there were seven arrests made during that period and six of the seven were union activists antagonizing uh, conservatives. Uh, There was only one Tea Party protester arrested during that time. The rest of them all from the left uh, antagonizing people.
4: Yeah, and, and uh, I, I didn't know that, but it's a great point, and it's, it's what I observed. I went to a lot, um, as you did, a lot of uh, Tea Party protests, a lot of uh, peaceful demonstrations where people were expressing their concern about the direction of government. And, and I think that uh, the fact that uh, President Obama used the IRS, uh, really weaponized the IRS to uh, go after Tea Party groups use the FBI to go after the the, uh, Trump administration, Uh, a perfect example of what happens when government gets too big. The left will use government in a way to stifle dissent, Uh, whereas what the right is constantly asking for is more liberty, less government. Uh, Leave us alone. Let us do our jobs. Let us raise our families.
0: Yeah, it's – I don't know that there's a solution to this short of the president winning uh and and i actually think they'll be more antagonistic wins in november but only for a short time when they realize that it was their their hostility that caused people to to move towards the president's direction it it almost seems like right now they're calculating that if they can scare everybody and and whip everybody into a frenzy that that somehow helps their side and not only are they doing damage to the country it just seems like they're they're not actually going to help joe biden ultimately
4: And I agree with you, Eric. People ask me what I think. And and the the more I'm in Colorado, the more I'm in my district talking to uh, hardworking people, the more I understand. uh, I have Democrats coming up to me, talking to me about how upset they are with the the riots and the looting and the uh, destruction of our history and and how uh, they are, are upset that the Democrat leaders aren't speaking out about this. And uh, and they are looking for uh, Trump's leadership on this issue because they want law and order. They don't like the chaos that they see. It's not good for their business. It's not good for their family. It's not good for America.
0: No, it's not. Uh, look, I got to leave it there with you. It's always good to hear your voice. I appreciate you coming on and, and appreciate your, your op-ed this morning on TikTok as well. It's, it's man, I just, Mike, we don't even, we block it in our house. People come to our house, they can't use it, and I wish more people would realize what's going on with it.
4: Yeah, well, thank you, Eric. It's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Ken Buck, Congressman from Colorado. Uh, great guy. Um, man, I, I, I went out to Colorado. He was running for the Senate. Uh, gosh, this was two thousand ten i guess he ran for the senate uh barely lost uh, came within a percentage point uh at the time uh, just a good profound conservative guy wound up running for congress and winning and it's just it's it's great to have him on the show it's it's good to have good people like him in congress hello there the phone number here 87797 eric 8779737425 uh quick word for a sponsor true precision Uh, True Precision is, they're not a gun manufacturer. They are, well, they're geniuses. They will upgrade your gun. Uh, In fact, I'm going to go to their website and I'm going to discuss this with you from their website, which is true-precision.com. And according to true, they've updated their website. Ooh, fancy. Um, so they make barrels. You can get them for Glock or SIG MP, you can get thread protectors. You can get, um, slides. You can get titanium side plates or slide plates. You can get, uh, triggers y'all. I got to tell you, it's incredible. They got the P 365 XL barrels now available. Um, I'm, I'm a fan, I, and I put this up on on my uh, video live stream the other day. I, I can't express to you how gorgeous uh, my gun is. Now, I got a Glock 43X, and true precision upgraded the slide, the barrel, the sights. It's just incredible. You can work with them. If you want upgrades to your gun, they do a remarkable job. They're local, by the way. If you're in Georgia, they're local. Uh, and they're just, they're great. And I was a customer of theirs. Uh, I got my 43X and they upgraded all the, the pieces, the grip, everything. And uh, now they're an advertiser, which is great. And I can I can genuinely attest to the quality of their workmanship and everything else because I was a customer of theirs first. And I, I've stuck with them. They can do coatings, finishings, all sorts of things. Go to true-precision.com. True-precision.com. Uh, You can order their barrels. You can order their slides and stuff online. If you use ERIC as a checkout code, E-R-I-C-K, you get a 10% discount. I I genuinely do recommend it. You you want an an awesome-looking gun, not just a gun, but a work of art, uh, go to True Precision. I I can't recommend them enough. They're good people, and they make such high-quality stuff. Now, uh, to the phones, Lisa in Clarksville. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you today? Great. What's going on?
5: Good. Well, first I wanted to say um I you you the first day you were on the radio, you replaced Glenn Black, and I was I was a little bit apprehensive, but I kept listening every morning and I have to say that uh I'm a fan. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Please tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I will if I ever get the chance to speak with her. Um I had a I had a little um Epiphany while you were talking, you playing the thing about the president in Atlanta yesterday and um, and his thing about, you know, not wanting to defund the police so that people can feel safe. And I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if the Trump campaign made red face masks with white letters to match the hats that say, keep America safe? Well, it seems so simple. Yeah, it just kind of popped into my head, and I don't know how to ever get a hold of him. I'm actually on their...
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I know, man, so I, I do this daily email now in the mornings and you'd be amazed at the number of people who have, um, uh, EOP, what is it? I, I forget the exact website, but it's essentially the executive office of the president. How many readers are the, I may have to bring this up, uh, in, in one of my morning emails cause I know they'll see it. That's actually a really good idea. And, and I really that do was, think yeah. just given the data out there that we know now, uh, these countries that are mandating masks, uh, it would—they would, they would mm-hmm. first of all, it would make the president at a time the media says he's not taking charge of stuff. Suddenly, he would not only be taking charge of stuff, but he would be turning his supporters into the the the, the forward troops in this. And absolutely, I, we, we could actually turn this thing around. Um, that's a great idea, Lisa. I appreciate you people up in Habersham County. are some of the smartest people. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, and we loved you up here. I, I wish I would have gotten to see you while you were up here. Well, but look, i I got to tell you,
0: I, I I have fallen in love with Northeast Georgia. I, I mean, I I love the Rome area. I, I love the folks up there. But going up to Lake Burton and then going up to Clarksville, it is gorgeous up there. It is absolutely gorgeous. It I is. want to fly fishing.
5: Yep, it is. We love it up here. I'm actually a native Detroiter. That's why I was talking to Alan Sanderson last week. Really? Or Alan Sanderson. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Native, de- how did you but- wind up? How did you wind up there from Detroit?
5: Um, I have a good friend here whose mom lives here, and she's her husband died, so we came up to kind of take care of her. She's in her eighties, and um, we love it here. I, I've always wanted to live in the mountains. Coming from Detroit, I you know, surrounded by water, and right. I I really love the mountains, and here I'm finally here
0: finally well, yeah, man I, I i gotta i'm my goal at this point I, I really want a house in hilton head on the beach but having something up there in the mountains around the lake burton area like raven it's just it's so pretty the people are so nice and the restaurants are so it good is. I, I i love the restaurants up there too i'd be i'd be fatter than i am right now if i stayed up there though <laughs>
5: well, well keep in contact with me somehow or i'll keep in contact with you i do real estate that's what I do are, well, so I'll do
0: that that excellent well, one, one day we'll be in the market as soon as I win the lottery listen thank you so much for calling I in and I am going to pass that recommendation on uh, I really am because it's a good one and I I wouldn't be surprised if someone at the Trump campaign is thinking about this um it's and if you haven't listened if you're just tuning in you're waiting for rush to come on I know how it is I know how you people are the NBC Wall Street Journal. I talked to Kellyanne Conway yesterday. I, I wound up not actually. So I talked to her on the evening show. We wound up actually. She got preempted. She and I are friends. And so we were texting back and forth laughing about it. She was supposed to be on with me at four yesterday and she got preempted by her boss. Uh, who was we ran his uh, during my show evening show we ran a speech live in Atlanta so she called in, in in the five o'clock hour and there were severe thunderstorms and I was having to pause uh, tell her to to hang on a second while I had to go do a severe thunderstorm warning because you know I read the radar and all and but um, it, she wanted to be dismissive of the national polls including the NBC Wall Street Journal poll that shows the president losing significantly to Joe Biden, but wanted to point out that 54 to 56% of Americans say that they trust the president on the economy and they're happy with the job he's done on the economy. Which tells me and tells her and tells their team that the president, if he can figure out a way around this virus or through this virus, can win. And if he can't, he's going to lose. And mask wearing seems to be a no-brainer. I mean, even the media, the national media, attacking the governor uh, of Georgia for saying you can't mandate masks is ignoring the fact that even the governor of Georgia is doing statewide tours telling people to wear masks. He doesn't want to mandate them. He don't want to turn you into a criminal if you're not going to wear a mask, but he still wants you to wear them. Uh, The president could take a similar approach, and his campaign could sell these masks. Make America safe, as Lisa said. uh, put, Put them on the mask. And sell these through his campaign to his campaign, give them out at rallies, Uh, have the rallies and give out the masks and tell everyone you got to wear the mask. They could do this. The president could drive the messaging and all the people in the media who've been blasting him about this, well, he should have done it three months ago, but he's doing it. It would have direct impact. It would have direct messaging and it would be the president not only in charge of it, but give him a profit motive to do it as well through his campaign maybe he would do it. That's not a bad idea. It it really isn't. Uh, We got to do something to get through this virus for the president's poll numbers to go up. And getting his supporters to be the ones to say, you know what, we need to wear this mask to help the president get reelected and stop Joe Biden is probably the most brilliant way for his campaign to exercise leadership and do this. Uh, Something for his campaign to think about.